Welcome to Playing Footsie, the podcast where we talk about stocks, investing and personal finance. Before we start, we want to make it clear that the information presented on this show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. None of us is a financial advisor and this is not financial advice. Investing in the stock market comes with risks and we strongly encourage our listeners to do their own research and consult with a licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Now, let's dive into the world of finance and talk about what we're doing with our money. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. It's New Year's Eve, last bit of 2023. We're actually recording this on December 27th, but by the time this goes out, it's New Year's Eve, last little bit of 2023. Time to look back on all the stuff that's happened this year, or at least some of the stuff that we predicted would happen this year. So it's mostly stuff that hasn't happened this year. Uh, I've got Steve D with me. We'll be talking about things we predicted, things that Paul predicted as well, and we'll see whether we got any of them right this time. And after we realise that we didn't, we will go on to make some predictions for 2024, as well as maybe some more some more obtainable things, I guess, in the form of our resolutions and ambitions for the year ahead. Anyway, how are you, Steve? How's your Christmas been? It's all right, Steve. To be fair, yeah, not not too bad for a first Christmas with the uh, with the little one. She uh, she slept relatively well. Um, we've had a bit of a battle over the last couple of weeks because we've been testing her on all different types of formula milk, uh, and she's. Um, She's. We've since discovered she's lactose intolerant. Um. So we've had a bit of a, a battle getting the right kind of milk in her. But now we've got that, uh, one that her tummy can handle. Um. She's she's sleeping really well, and she's uh, uh last night, Steve. I took her up to bed at about twenty to two because I do sort of like a latish morning shift, you know, to 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 latish night. Then I take her up and I swap with my wife, and she has it gets about four hours sleep, and then whatever you get with the child, and then we we alternate the next day. Well, she'd been a darling for me. Uh, I didn't hear a peep out of her, uh, and I took her up at two o'clock, and she cried for about half an hour. Um, so that would have been about I don't know twenty past two. She went to sleep, then didn't wake up until half past five. Took a bottle, went straight back to sleep, and my wife woke up at eight. Now that is the dream, isn't it, for a whatever three week old, four three and a bit week old uh, baby? That's uh, that's gone rather well. But Christmas uh, was great. It went to my family's, uh, lots of pairs of hands to hand babies over to. So your tennis elbow and your torn bicep and your bad back. Uh, I'll I'll get a little chance to uh, repair. Um, Steve, I, I promised you I'd reveal the most northern gift, uh, Christmas gift I think you'll probably ever have received. But my uh, my mother got me a Greg's gift voucher uh, to spend at my <laughs> local Greg's next time I uh, next time I uh, am passing. But how about you, Steve? Did you have a good Christmas? And did you get some nice presents? Yes, I got some nice vouchers. Uh, Christmas was okay. I uh, this is, you said it was a voucher, and if I if you'd made me guess, I promise you I would have gone for Greg's as the the most northern um, voucher, and that would be the only thing I'd have got right on this show for the entire hour or so. But um, yeah, uh, Christmas was all right. We were at my parents', which was not scheduled, um, but we were, were supposed to be at my in laws. We're going to go and see them in the new year, so that will be happening between the sort of first and tenth or so. Um, Christmas was all right. The run-up sort of felt a bit frantic for me in that I had COVID, so I got put behind quite a bit, and I was biking around Oxford gathering presents until sort of the very last minute available for for doing this kind of thing, and then frantically trying to wrap them and hoping Amazon people turned up with them in the nick of time and, and all that sort of stuff. And it felt like... It went all right the day, and then we got to the end, and Alistair eventually went to bed, and we were back home. And then there was some calm and some space, and just a moment to 
to reflect. And that was quite nice. The day went fine, uh, basically. There, there's not too many of us there. I'm an only child and I've only got one myself. So there was the uh, five of us in the, in the bungalow, which is where they've moved to in 2023. Um, and it was it was all right. I, we also got some vouchers, amongst other things, I would add. Uh, but by... Um, this will be my mum's innovation. She's in charge of all the kind of present buying, not an uncommon um, arrangement in households, I think. But we got some vouchers for Tesco. <laughs> um, so we've got, uh, the wife and I each got a, a voucher, actually. I think she got another one because it was her birthday the following day, along with other presents, I would emphasize. But we got some vouchers for uh, Tesco. We've both decided that we are going to um, contribute them to the joint account for the weekly shop uh, effectively and we will just take 30 quid out or whatever it was that we uh, were given with our vouchers and then go and use that somewhere else well, so we'll we'll convert them for cash by putting them through the uh, the shared joint account it's I didn't as you were asking earlier get my copy of poor Charlie's Almanac um, this year being of course the year that we finally said goodbye to uh, Charlie Munger um, that'll be probably where a good amount of my voucher will go on Amazon. Um, and I can get the audiobook for free by the sound of it as a, if I get a prime membership. So that will be even more of a, uh, a bonus. Um, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm also looking forward to getting stuck into the one that you sent me over, uh, the new year. So I've got sort of 10 days of being in Scotland with nothing to do other than childcare. So obviously loads of time for reading when you've got, a uh, what will be 18 and a half month old by the time we get to the end of that um but yeah it's been a good um it's been a decent christmas can't complain uh too much about that it went better than i thought it was going to sort of in the week running up to it i thought it was going to be uh chaotic and it was a bit some presents got left at home by mistake never mind uh they will wait until i see the, the parents again in the next in the next couple of days actually because they're only just up the road my uh, my mother handed me um, the rest of the cheesecake, Steve, that she made on Christmas Day, and it was a good sizable chunk. A good two thirds of the cheesecake had survived because, mm-hmm. like, like I imagine most parents do, they kind of over overdo the size of you know. There might be nine people coming, but you know, one of them's a newborn, and two of them are young children who don't really uh, uh, eat an awful lot. So uh, there was this was a pretty sizable cheesecake. Anyway, I took it home in one of those massive cake boxes, and I'd made already made three trips back from the. Uh, from the car and I thought I'm not making this into five everything that's left is coming into the fourth trip and I dropped the cheesecake but I was fairly happy with the drop because it, it looked like to me that it had ran, landed the right way up so I was more than chuffed with it so I left it picked everything else up got it in went back to pick up the cheesecake and it had landed exactly upside down so yeah I spent the next sort of 20 minutes having to claw it out of all the crevices of the uh, cake box mm. and, uh, and throw it in the bin so that was that was the end of my day that was a frustrating end I must admit um but um, because it was a bloody nice cheesecake, and I'd quite like to have eaten it this morning. But never mind, we uh, we move on, Steve. We do. It's actually wife's birthday as well. Yesterday, twenty sixth Boxing Day. Um, however you refer to that day. Uh, so I've been sort of busy for. It's always tough. For, she's well used to it now, having had that birthday her entire life. When she was um, a lot lot younger, uh, like growing up as a child. Her mother used to say, no one's allowed to open any presents on Boxing Day. It's Fiona's birthday uh, and, and quite fiercely defend that. To the point uh, after Fiona kind of got over the idea and been like, it's OK. Uh, when we see the family that we didn't see on Christmas Day and we go and see them on Boxing Day or whatever, like, it's fine for other people to open presents and act like it's sort of Christmas again or whatever, even though it's her birthday. The thing it makes a real nuisance for is trying to buy presents because you've got to think of twice as much stuff uh, when this year comes around. And she is... 
fiercely opposed to the idea that you can just buy stuff that's twice the size. I think this is a bad move, by the way. There's stuff that I would buy that would make up like the entirety of her birthday and Christmas presents from both me and Alistair. And it would be that much better than the stuff I would buy individually, right? You could add all the individual stuff together. I'll spend the same amount. I'm not looking for a way around it. But if someone says you've got this much to spend versus four lots of this much, uh, there's there's different amounts of stuff you can do. I think it's a bad policy that she has. But that is her approach. It means I end up thinking of uh, endless amounts of stuff to wrap and wrap in different paper and all that kind of thing. And then try and work out what to do on a Boxing Day when nearly nothing is open. Um, we've historically been to the cinema. We went to a nice restaurant yesterday, actually, that's recently opened-ish in Oxford. I went there with work and we... I thought it was really good. I thought it was clearly a very good restaurant. Work made a real mess of ordering in advance. It was an Italian place, and we had nothing with any carbs in it over three courses, which was insufferable uh, to my mind. So I wanted to go back, and I ordered like a man who was angry at having been deprived of carbs on a previous visit, to be honest. So I ordered a pasta thing, followed by a pizza thing, followed by a sticky toffee pudding, um, just to make sure that I, I kind of averaged out about right in the, in the starch um, steaks over the, over the period. But yeah, it's been her birthday as well, so it's been a busy few days here. Um, I guess we should get to looking back at some of our predictions for 2023, since the year is pretty much done. There is, I think, as I look at it, one um day no two days of the stock market still being open uh before we we knock off for the year um but it's unlikely anything much will happen i'm happy to call it on any of my predictions that i've made for this year even though there is strictly time for them to go either right or wrong uh or you know flip around from the way they've gone um last year was an interesting one for predictions because you me and paul all selected the same thing without conferring with each other we had a we had a common view on where house prices were gonna go steve how did that go for us um, surprising, really, because uh, we, uh, like I say, completely inadvertent. I just sort of blurted out my prediction first and saw two heads drop as if to say, you've stolen my content, which, uh, that, I mean, that has happened before today. But um, on something like this, when you can pick absolutely anything, uh, it would seem strange that we all pick the same thing and with relatively the same figures. I think I said 8 to 10, Paul said 8, and you said 10. So it was uh it was uh strange that we all picked it but uh what wasn't strange is that we were all completely wrong um at about the halfway point i would say we it was looking um like this could happen um i had a good look through all the government data and there was a small reversal in um uk property prices um they they fell around about half of the lower end of our target uh, but i've since gone through all of the government data again to see if we've won here and it doesn't matter what house type we uh, have what house size what region house prices have been essentially static uh, or slightly down this year uh, depending on whether you're looking at a detached or semi-detached terrace or a bungalow uh, but but regardless it's, it's absolutely nowhere near our jump prediction um do you have any thoughts and feelings on why this was steve yeah, when I listened back to the episode from last year, earlier today, the clue was kind of there. It was there on um, both the thing that you said in support of that view and the thing I said in support of that view. So you talked about looking at the builders from your kind of, uh, all the stuff you know from work about house builders, and you pointed out that sales cycles were lengthening and so on. Um, and I said, anecdotally, from what I think, people are getting caught underneath mortgages they can't afford, uh, pretty much. and. 
both of those things pointed to the same thing that I think we were both signing on to, which is there's a falling off in demand coming because interest rates are going up and mortgages are getting more expensive and that will cause demand to fall in the property market. And when you hold supply fixed and demand falls off, then prices come down. The only question is how much. What I think neither of us really fastened onto is that that's all true, uh, by the way, and that all kind of happened. The trouble is, the fall in demand was also met both in this side of the pond and in the US by a fall in supply. Uh, and if you move supply and demand down together, uh, volumes coming onto the market, people decided if they didn't want to, if they weren't desperate to move, they weren't going to move. So the supply side dried up from existing sales. I think it came down as well from builders uh, too. I mean, if you you're, if the stuff we've been seeing from you and me owning Forterra this year is anything at all to go by, there's been a lot less getting built uh, this year because demand for bricks has gone through the floor. It means that um, if supply comes down while demand comes down or even to meet demand or even faster than demand comes down, prices don't move in the way that we thought they were going to. I think the reason that we were wrong about that was because there was a fall in, on the supply side that we weren't really expecting. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably true. Uh, I thought that with material costs coming down that people would continue to build and that would be one of the issues that brought down the uh, prices, but that's just not been the case uh, as builders have spotted that. Um, the uncertainty in the rates is probably what's caused the big issue for builders. They're saying, look, I don't want to complete a five-bed house if rates are going to be 10% by the time I've finished it because there isn't anybody in this area that can or will want to afford that. Um, so what they're looking for is um, rate stability before they start new projects. So we also had a change in building regulations um, this year as well, where we moved from a 300 mil cavity to a 350 mil cavity. And you had to uh, make a start on the building before a certain point if you wanted to stick to the old regulations, which you could build a house a little bit cheaper with a 300 mil cavity versus a 350. Um, so a lot of builders basically rush to throw in foundations and um and basically get the building started and then and then left it dormant for as long as they could um so there was an initial sort of a little bit of hope at the beginning of the uh well towards the back end of the year to the beginning of the year that um things were going to get really really moving um but that never materialized and and, and, it, and it completely died off and at, and at work and i haven't been there for a month so it might have changed but um, we were about uh, we were about thirty percent down or thirty five percent down on the year previous uh, in terms of supply. Um, so um, that probably is the same as as demand. I I think you've pretty much nailed that one. Yep. Um, I so we were wrong on uh, that one. We had the right idea. We just didn't have all the right ideas. And that was I think that was the case both here and across in the US. Actually, house prices have held up a lot better than a lot of people thought they would mostly because supply is almost entirely dried up, um, kind of in the way that demand has. Anecdotally, I sort of noticed around here that house prices appear to be behaving a little bit weird, to be honest. There isn't much building going on very, very close uh, to me, um, but that's true anyway. We're just congested for space in this part of the uh, country. But stuff in the kind of, not a state, but in the kind of region I uh, live in or part of Oxford that I live in, I look and occasionally and see stuff coming onto the market and on balance, I think it's roughly where it was before. It might be a down four and a bit percent sounds about right to me at one stage. But it looks like people here are continuing to keep their asking prices reasonably high. And they're, um, I don't know whether they're moving at these prices or what prices things are going at. 
but it's not obvious to me that there are huge numbers of forced sellers that I sort of thought there um, might be. I didn't necessarily think right in the region that I live in particularly, but but I was expecting to see kind of a bit more forced selling going on than I've uh, I've seen so far. So we will see what happens with interest rates going forward on that one. Um, I think that's probably connected to a couple of uh, predictions we have going forward. So I won't say too much more about that, but think the outlook for interest rates looks and feels different to how it did 12 months ago right steve that's what i was going to say this is going to be this kind of weird 12 to 18 month window where unfortunate souls whose mortgages expired are going to go on to pretty high fixed rates um um you know and people who've been able to hold it out or perhaps were willing to sit on a variable tracker um probably mm. will have a, a better rate uh, in 12 months probably we'll have a better rate in 12 months time so it's been a funny period of time i think there's going to be like a, a forgotten 12 months worth of uh, of people who are well i mean if you're fixing if you're fixing your mortgage you're happy with the rate you, you, you're you as happy as you can be with the the amount you're paying so um, i suppose i won't be too unhappy but um yeah it's just going to be a, a funny period where unfortunate people are paying unfortunate prices i think hmm Let's uh, push on them with the rest of Paul's predictions. I've got these. That was when we all thought together, basically, and we were all wrong together. So none of us has managed a clean sweep uh, on these. Paul, however, has done okay. I tend to try and, when I mark these things, I tend to try and be tough for myself and generous with everybody else. But I think there's no two ways about this here. Paul has got at least one right, and he might have got one and a, he might have got two if you're generous. One and a half, I think, is probably fair. But let's see what you think. So one of his predictions was that the underperformers of last year will be the outperformers of this year. And there's a lot that goes into that particular idea. Um, I think this has been true in a number of ways, but the names he mentioned, so the ones that I'll actually evaluate for the scoring uh, purpose things, were Tesla, Meta and Google. Uh, He thought that Tesla would snap back after a a tricky year last year, and that's up 142%. So whatever you consider being the outperformer, that's well up there. Meta, of course, has gone absolutely ballistic um, for 187%. And Google is up 56% uh, so far year to date. All of that's currently comfortably pacing the S&P 500, which is 25% up. Um, That's a pretty good call. Some of his reasons for it weren't quite right. Um, But uh, I think there's um, some interesting stuff kind of going on. there along the way he was um unsure about it from a business perspective but tesla has done sort of tesla tesla sort of strangeness here i mean it's kept going at a pretty impressive pace when it comes to chucking out cars meta he said people would forget about the metaverse and that's partly true but with both meta and google and some of the other big techs as well across the board i think he had those in mind although he didn't say them specifically i'm counting this as right by the way so all this is friendly to all stuff They've all been going in for kind of efficiencies. Um, Rising interest rates has caused people to look hard towards profits. And Meta and Google, two that stand out to me more than anyone else, maybe Amazon a bit, have basically decided, okay, let's start sacking everybody. Uh, Then Google, Demodran talks about this a lot, but Google, when he went to their kind of campus, they appear to have a lot of useless people standing around getting paid for not really doing very much. He didn't see those necessarily in other kind of places, but they were... Very easy savings to be made uh, when you think, yeah, maybe let's let's kick out these people who don't really sort of do an awful lot. It was nice enough while interest rates were at point something of a percent. Now they're at four point something of a percent. Nah, it's kind of expensive to keep you guys around, and I reckon we got some better use for this cash. That to me has been the real reason for outperformance in this space. Plus, 
some noise about AI along the way. Uh, but um, look, credit where credit's due, and you can be right for the wrong reasons. You're still right. Don't care. Uh, Paul was very clearly right on the the idea that last year's underperformers, identifying as Tesla, Meta platforms, and Google, would be this year's outperformers. Yeah, that's worked out pretty well. Um, I didn't pick that, but Steve, you and I have done reasonably well by owning some big techish things. In my case, um, Amazon and Apple. In your case, uh, Amazon Alphabet. Yeah, um, I think that's uh, a fairly solid prediction, really. There's not really an awful lot. I mean, out of all of the Magnificent Seven, I think Google's done the worst off the top of my head. So um, you still can give him full credit for it because I think it's nearly double or just over double what the S&P's done. So, so yeah, uh, I think that's a a clean sweep for Paul and probably went against the grain of what a lot of people thought at the uh, beginning of the year. Um, especially myself. I would agree with that as well. I was listening back to it, and I remember thinking that felt controversial. And and looking back, it's been nothing but right. Let's try a different one then. So Paul's other claim, and you can make out what you make what you will of this. He's either just just out or just in, uh, basically. And I'm, I can't work out whether I want to call this right or call it half a point. Um, the main thrust of it is in, so maybe I'll call it a point. Um, Disney, he said, uh, would be paying a dividend this year. Uh, now, has Disney paid a dividend this year? No. Is Disney going to pay a dividend in the next three days that we have left of this year? No. Nonetheless, Disney has declared a dividend. Uh, Disney has gone X with its dividend. It will be paid in January, um, and it will be $0.30. Cents. Um, so Paul said... Parks will get back to capacity. Free cash flow will start to improve. Bob Iger will look to bring back the dividend. He will bring it back this year. You said uh, this year would be the year that Disney gets ready to um, pay its dividend for next year, which is uh, pretty much accurate there. I mean, they're not paying a thing until 2024, strictly. Uh, No one is getting it there. Paul said it would be around a 1% dividend, which didn't really make much sense because that's not how they work out uh, a dividend. They don't say, what's the current share price? Okay, let's send back. Well, I don't know how they work it out, but they're supposed to say, here's how much money we're going to send out and the share price adjusts itself to to whatever investors think is the right level, uh, investors as a whole. Um, But it's 30 cents, which um, if you times that by four and assume it's going to be quarterly, takes you uh, to a dollar twenty, and on an eighty-something share price, that's about one percent. It's touch over. Um, so, so he's kind of in the right area with how much they'll be dividending back out. He's roughly right on the timing. I would point out that we have historically been, we spent a lot of last year thinking we were right, but early on some of our predictions and we counted that as wrong. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you and I talked a fair bit as did Paul a little bit in fairness to him about the fact that we didn't think Disney paying a dividend would necessarily be a very good idea rather than using the cash to tackle debt or build out streaming or loads of other uses for any free, if your free cash flow does pick up, which by the way, it absolutely did. They're now generating 5 billion in free cash as of this year. Um, I think it tells you more about Disney shareholders than anything else, that they are the kind of shareholders who will demand cash now, basically. Uh, there's maybe some justification for that. Disney is not a new upstart company uh, in any interesting way. It's a mature business, if anything is. It has some growth arms to it. But um, yeah, this is this is very close to right. If it's not right, Steve. Yeah, I think I think I'm 
I'm prepared to offer him a partial credit on it. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe three quarters of a credit on it because it's mm-hmm. very, very close to being uh, being correct. Um, it's not helped Disney's share price like I think uh, Iger thought he he would do. I had a feeling he was sort of sacrificing a little bit of free cash flow to try and get uh, some some performance out of the share. That's not happened. Uh, Disney's up about one and a half percent year to date. It's been a dire year for um, for Disney. I think it's only been above a hundred once over the year, so um, not not particularly uh, not particularly great. Um, but yeah, I think fair play to Paul on that one again. I think he's 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 pretty much he's pretty much nailed that one, Steve. Even though um, scratching my head a little bit as to as to why exactly. It's not one that I see either. I think this is Bob Iger understanding his shareholders more than anything else. And I don't want to say understanding his shareholders more than understanding his business, but maybe putting the desires of his shareholders above the uh, priorities of his business. And maybe there's a sense in which when you are, when you have activist investors paying attention to what you're doing, I mean, that encourages you to make um, maybe shorter term or, or shareholder focused in the in the dividend sense decisions that you otherwise wouldn't have made i like you wouldn't welcome this decision if i were uh disney with rates looking like they're going to be higher than they were before i would have been looking to bring down the the debt with any cash that i had and um i yeah uh, i'm not sure a one percent dividend is either here nor there to be honest no one's buying in my head uh no one's buying disney for a one percent dividend if you're a dividend investor uh, say the kind of investor that's kind of near retirement and you think well look i need to be looking towards income stocks because i haven't got time to wait for something to grow basically i need cash before five years when all this, uh, the cash from investment starts coming through and stuff i can understand that but then you go and buy something like realty income you don't go and buy disney with a one percent dividend for that so it's um it's a tricky one for me i'm not sure what a one percent dividend achieves it looks like it's neither here nor there or a dividend at that level sorry uh, achieves it's neither here nor there no, I think they'd be better off just buying bonds with that money and just taking the yield on some bonds that, that get a better return mm. than what they've managed to achieve and what they're currently offering to shareholders. But yeah, I think the same as you. Depending on what 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 the current rate of the debt is, clear the debt, or just invest it in yourself. Disney is not a company that has uh, small capex requirements. It needs a lot of capex quite quite often, and I would sooner them spend it on that and spend it on growing. Then uh, giving me giving me the return at this stage. Yep. Um, so yeah, one and three quarters for Paul out of three, and the only one he went really wrong on was the one where he tried agreeing with us. So uh, a good year for Paul. Uh, if you see him, let him know for us. Uh, Steve, how did you get on with your predictions? Well, <clears throat> seeing as though we've had two good, uh, we'll go to one bad. Uh, so I said that I thought Tesla would finish in the red this year. And uh, for that to happen, uh, that would have been Tesla would have had to have been about sub a hundred dollars. Um, Tesla at the moment is about two hundred and sixty dollars, so it's up about one hundred and forty percent year to today. And again, just to reiterate, this is the prime reason why we only do these for a laugh and don't actually bet on anything we uh, uh, we predict. Um, to be fair to myself, a lot of the things I highlighted that could go wrong for Tesla actually did end up going wrong. Um, but um, the they even added issues of cratering margins, run up on inventory, uh, interest rates hampering um, consumer purchasing power, uh, but uh, and increasing competition. Uh, but no one cared at all, and Tesla has had um, 
well, it's had a really stellar year. Um, Steve, did you spot anything this year from Tesla other than just pumping out more and more cars that that deserved 140% year to date? No, I don't spot anything much in anything that deserved 140% year to date. But here's what I did notice for Tesla. Um, even if you think that company has gone nowhere uh, for the moment, which it hasn't quite, but even if you think, okay, look, a car company valuation, even the guy at Morgan Stanley, by the way, who has the highest price target for Tesla, certainly outside of Kathy Wood, amongst the kind of bank analysts, uh, I think his name's Adam Jonas, has the highest uh price for tesla he only gets to around the car bit being worth 80 dollars or so uh, a share so uh, he's just really bullish on everything else basically so he's bullish on self-driving and on batteries and on energy and on um, licensing and uh, you get the idea all the other stuff um that we uh that we hear about from tesla a point that i heard demoder making not in these words but one that makes sense to me is that certainly this year if you think if you're prepared to give them anything for those in the share price, and there's an argument that says you shouldn't, but if you are, all their competitors have gone backwards um, in these sorts of things. So GM self-driving unit has basically shuttered itself. Uh, there is now, it's pretty much, even if it ever wasn't, now close to being a one-horse race for self-driving. Now, there's important questions of what is self-driving worth? How quickly will we get to self-driving? And I think there's a very big question of will self-driving and how will self-driving and when get regulatory approval. That's the big thing I think that I struggle with here because I'm now reluctant to go betting against Tesla and Elon Musk to do anything um, because they achieve some remarkable engineering things. But the regulation thing isn't in their hands. And you can think the world of Tesla and Elon Musk. All you have to do is think that regulators are um, somewhat irrational. Uh, and people who will be making legislation for this stuff are pretty irrational or don't understand what's going on or have an interest elsewhere uh, or something like that to think that could be a big problem. Um, so I, that's the reason I don't price much into this kind of thing. Even if you think Tesla's great, which increasingly I kind of do, I find it hard to price it at that level because you have to build in some assumptions that I'm not comfortable making because they ain't anything to do with Tesla uh, intrinsically, to be honest. Um, so I saw other companies going backwards and I saw Tesla extending its lead in these kind of areas. That doesn't to me make me think up 140% or anything of the sort. I also saw them picking up industrial action issues around um, sort of Scandinavia uh, towards the end of the year, which are an issue. I see X going wrong uh, for Elon Musk all over the place. And since the um, X is kind of supported by or was bought using loans that are involve using tesla shares as collateral they could end up getting sold at some point i think there's a i think tesla shareholders ought to be wary of what's going on with x or anyone trying to forecast a tesla share price ought to be interested in what's going on at x and i don't think it's going terribly well um but those are kind of uh concerns i'd have going forward i think yeah a, a horrible stock to hold for people i think because there's a lot of worrying i'm just looking at the um uh, the key events on uh, google finance which is a, a really neat little feature they've added where um, they uh, explain the dips in uh, year-to-date for you so you can uh, mm-hmm. try and help you understand what's going on. But just this year, Steve, Tesla fell 9.75% in one day on the 20th of April, 9.74% on the 20th of July, 506 on the day on the 1st of September, and 9.3% on the day on the 19th of October. So fair play to anybody who's holding through uh, the volatility here because there's 
they're big falls in a stock, 10% falls in a stock. And for, the, for it to fall essentially 10, 10, 5, and 10 and still be up 142.92% as we speak at the moment, um, that's that's rampant outperformance. So your volatility is the price you pay. Yeah, it tried to make your prediction work for you, didn't it? It just couldn't seem to make any of those falls stick. Mm. No, absolutely, absolutely not. Steve, what was your next one? Uh, so I went for a double outperformance um, pick, and your reaction to this was the correct one. I was wrong about this. I thought um, rising interest rates, falling share prices, recession, go for stuff that has low costs to consumers and structural reasons for having low costs to consumers. And I went for McDonald's, I went for Costco. And to be honest, it felt like I was onto such a surefire winner here. I was attempting to find ways of making it sound interesting. And I pointed out at the time that McDonald's is strictly a consumer discretionary uh, stock and you generally don't want to be in a discretionary area in a in a recession uh, that I was expecting at the time. Um, and the Costco has a massive PE, which is also not a thing you want with interest rates going up. Um, and I said both of those would outperform and I was right on one and wrong on the other, which means I was wrong. Um, so Costco... Uh, the S&P managed 25%. Costco managed 60 which is actually better than Google. And I did say at the time, actually, both of these are dividend stocks uh, of a sort anyway. I don't care about dividends. I'm not adding them back. I'm just talking about price movement performance against the index's price movement performance here. So it's just a question of reading off the number uh, in each case from the share price chart. Costco up 60%, McDonald's up 11%, uh, the S&P 500 up 25%. I don't think it would make any difference to any of that if you did try and add back the dividends. By the way, I think Costco would still be ahead and McDonald's would still be behind. So, uh, wrong. What went wrong? Well, I think part of what went wrong is that we didn't really get the recession that I was expecting. Um, I thought McDonald's would hold up and look to be more defensive than people think it is in a recession. 11% is kind of intrinsically not that bad. Um, the S&P managed much, much better. So in a year where the S&P has done 25-11 isn't great, maybe kind of confirming my thesis, McDonald's is slightly more defensive, actually. And it's where you run when things are looking uh, a bit more frightening. But uh, nope, incorrect on that one, Steve. Yeah, unfortunate, really, Steve, though, because Costco really, really did perform this year, which for uh, a stock that's already priced quite expensive um, as it is, I... I... I would assume you was looking for marginal outperformance, not double outperformance uh, there. Um, but yeah, McDonald's, really interesting, had a sort of bad period in the middle, which really sort of killed your prediction, I think. Mm. Uh, but it's but it's had a, a good start, a bad middle, and, a, and a, it's having a good end. Um, quite interested in their launch of Cosmax, if that's how we're going to pre- uh, pronounce it, Steve. I have a feeling this might be uh, a quite interesting little venture for them. It's an excuse to get more mcdonald's on the streets and not just pack you know pack the world with you know pack a street with two mcdonald's you can have a mcdonald's and a cosmax it sort of opens america up to a uh, another growth venture for them uh, more real estate for them to swallow up um and more products for them to sell i think that this could do rather well i don't like the name particularly but um yeah i think this is quite an interesting uh move for for mcdonald's and i'm really interested to see it play out uh, any thoughts on that um, yeah, I, I'm also kind of uh, interested in this. McDonald's is a, a strange sort of stock. It, it was one of the Nifty Fifty um, back when, and you associate the Nifty Fifty with absolute failure, and they were probably all overpriced at the time that Howard Marks was kind of looking at them. But if you pick the right bits of the Nifty Fifty, and I'm not saying it was at all obvious or easy to do that, you actually did fine. Uh, Coke has been fine since then. McDonald's has been fine since then. They were both Nifty Fifty stocks where people thought no one can overpay for these things. 
actually, it turns out what you can't overpay for is the very good uh, amongst them. Unfortunately, they don't come with a handy sign labeled the very good uh, written on them. But um, the nifty 50, the lesson we often take from them is buying at high prices doesn't work. Uh, and people often maybe jump to that conclusion a little bit too quickly here. Buying at high prices can sometimes not work. Buying at low prices can sometimes not work as well. Um, if you uh, pick the wrong stuff that goes the, right, the other way here. It, uh, the question is how to kind of differentiate the the high price winners from the high price losers and the low priced winners from the low price uh, losers, the ones that kind of deserve to be down there. I'm interested in Cosmax going forward. McDonald's has mostly found ways of growing so far that haven't involved adding to its top line. Revenue hasn't really gone anywhere in the last decade, I think, basically. What they have done pretty well is widen margins all over the place. Uh, and as a result, their profits have gone up pretty well. Their revenues have not. So it turns out that kind of growth growth comes in various different forms. But a bunch of Cosmax things might try and reinvigorate that top line a little bit, which I think is a bold move for McDonald's to be doing. I'd be interested to see how it goes. Yeah, same. I, I, you know, I think an interesting little growth vector for them there because um, you're looking for a way to move the top line, then uh, then this this could be it. Um, I think it's a, a pretty um, exciting little venture for them. It looks like it's only a small thing at the moment, but um, yeah, I'm hoping to give this one a little bit of room to breathe and, um, and uh, yeah, hoping it kicks on for them. What else were you predicting, Steve? You're... Yeah, I think we've talked about this basically all year so yeah, far. Let's, let's do it then. So I predicted, um, so it's a, a two-pronged prediction uh, and said that core inflation would be within the 2 to 3% target before the end of the year and that there would be no recession in America. And uh, I did later suspect that there would be one in the UK and the EU. And it looks like I'm going to be marginally early on those two, but they were not part of the uh, main um, the main prediction um so yeah i mean it, that one is uh, bang on right for me steve the the u.s has had a barnstorming year has completely avoided recession this year not even flirted with recession really uh, and has grown really really strongly so i mean it's key to note government spending is up uh, but when you combine that with the excess savings over the pandemic uh, an increased savings rate uh, an overall lack of unfixed personal debt in the US, meaning interest rates were a net benefit to consumers, uh, a strong labor market. Uh, the US has quite comfortably avoided uh, a recession. It has, however, had uh, what we're calling a vibe session now, Steve, the new word in the dictionary, a recession in, in how people feel about the economy. Uh, but I would expect the media to start to pick up on this now and start covering how well the economy is actually doing because we're on the run up to uh, an election and there'll be a number of publications that don't quite fancy having Trump in charge uh, or, or whoever is going to be allowed to run for the Republican Party. Um, so, yeah, and inflation is obviously uh, the last part of the prediction yeah, is exactly where it needed to be in the US. So um, I think we are polishing marble statues outside the front of uh, the Fed for um for uh or polishing big slabs of marble to carve out uh, a new one for j pal i think he's done a wonderful job i think he's done a wonderful job so far i listened back to the show from last year earlier today and i listened quite carefully to the way you put your uh prediction here you talked about inflation a fair bit for the beginning um uh, but you did say i think in so many words but the bit that i want to take the credit for or here's the bit i'm being assessed on for the prediction and it's the recession claim uh, not the inflation claim, which means you are bang on here. I've got US mm. inflation written at 3.1%, which is fraction, fraction above the 2 to 3% range. 
doesn't matter. Uh, US clearly not in a recession, not even the start of a recession. UK looks like, yeah, it might be on the start of one. UK GDP has been coming down and down, or UK GDP growth, sorry, has been coming down and down and down and down and down since the start of the year. And it's just just tipped negative uh, lately. So it might be that we look back at this and say, oh, this was the first quarter of a uh, recession had we but known it in the UK. Doesn't look like that's the case in the UK. Your US claim was a bold one. I think that's um, when you said this, I said I was picking my McDonald's Costco um, a couple of ideas based on the idea that you were going to be wrong because I had these down as recession outperformers. And I was pleased at the time because I thought at least this way one of us is going to be right. It's going to be a weird situation where somehow the US falls into a recession, which is your idea. And uh, also McDonald's and Costco go to the, uh, go to hell as well. It's not impossible, right? Anything can happen to any given stock. It might be that we tip into recession and it turns out there's massive insider fraud at McDonald's or something, and that would ruin uh, both sides of it. But in general, I thought, uh, I'm very confident one of us is going to be right about this. I thought it was going to be the recession side, but no, um, super job there. Um, yeah, you're, you're calling this as a win for uh, Powell then, not particularly ready uh don't think you would need to see any more uh just yet or waiting to see how 24 goes um so look i think now we're looking at um some kind of um external shock to move the us into a recession and that's Mm. one of the things i hate about when people use the inverted yield yield curve argument they always say oh look the yield curve and then there's a great financial crash and they go see recession um they're not linked you know i mean that's that's not that's just coincidence uh, and i think that's kind of what's going to happen here so we've we've had yield yields inverted uh, for the vast majority of the year um i would be uh, amazed though if that points to uh, a recession uh, with the way the us is going at the moment uh, and going into going into an election year as well with government spending as high as it is in the us i just can't see uh, a recession in 2024 um, maybe want to revisit in 2025, depending on uh, what government plans are uh, for the new the new government. And at some point, somebody's going to have to in America is going to have to get serious about tackling debt. Um, and when these people get serious about tackling some of that American debt pile, then I would expect uh, you know quite poor performance in the US as as government spending um, pulls back. But um, I can't imagine they're going to pull back spending with rates so high because when government pulls back spending, they want the private sector to be increasing the spending. And when debt is so expensive, the private sector is very unlikely to be spending on or, or on things unless they're getting some kind of tax break uh, for it. So I would expect government spending to uh, remain high and for um, essentially Biden and whoever is the president at the end of next year to kick the can down the road. Yep. Uh, we'll come back to that one in a second, actually. External shock, you say. Hmm, that's interesting in some of the stuff that I've got lined up for predictions for this year. Well, let's finish with my last one from 2023, which was that Coinbase will not be a publicly traded company by the end of the year. Well, there's still three days left to go, but I don't think it's going to happen uh, for me. I still wonder whether I might be early on this one. Um, I was partly thinking they were likely to go bankrupt, to be honest, but I also I now don't think they're going to go bankrupt. Um, I am concerned, though, that the SEC is going to take them out, um, or I would be concerned. I, I quite like the SEC to take them out, to be honest. I would, <laughs> that I would view that positively, not negatively. 
Anyway, the stock is up 446% uh, year to date. It's one of the best performing stocks basically anywhere um, from balancing on the edge of uh, extinction pretty much. And I thought it was going to tip over into extinction. And it still might. Uh, this SEC thing comes in and out of uh, the media and so on. But the SEC's filed against them for basically being an illegal broken clearing and dealing uh, set of operations. A lot of the kind of this is quite a tough one to make sense of because I think a lot of the um, a lot of the kind of arguments that get made here are really quite poor on both sides of things. I saw an interview with uh, Coinbase um, CEO Brian Armstrong, I think his name is, where someone was saying, "Look, aren't the odds like really against you for uh, this? Because you have to show that all of your tokens are commodities, not securities here, and the SEC only has to show that one of them is a security." and not a commodity uh, here. And that's, I, I sort of get it in that there's large numbers of tokens that get traded over Coinbase, but but it's not like you're going to look at one one by one and then think, well, this has nothing to do with any other ones. There's going to be reasons that are going to rule out entire swathes of them. It's like saying, well, look, think of all the drops of rain that fall from the sky in a year, right? There's uh, billions and billions and billions of them. What are the chances of one of them being made out of cheese? Uh, well, well, basically zero. And if I think the answer is no, they're not made out of cheese, you don't say, well, look, it's really unlikely because you have to show me that every raindrop is made out of water. And I only have to show that one of them might be made out of cheese or something. No, I'm going to show you stuff about raindrops and that's going to cover all of them, basically. And that's pretty much how this thing is going to play out, I think, in the uh, securities thing. I'd be surprised if they uh, really want to go one by one through all of these coins and go, hmm, well, what's all these tokens starting? Mm, well, yeah, commodity. Okay, next one. Wonder what this one will be like. Uh, there's enough in common between these things, I think, that that's going to work its way through. It's not been a good year for crypto in general, though FTX finally went into the bin. And if only I'd picked that instead of Coinbase, I'd be laughing all the way to the bank right now. And to be honest, I feel like I could easily have done. Uh, but I didn't, so the prediction is off here. Bitcoin's up 146% uh, since the start of the year, which makes me, well... That's the downside to a bull market, I guess. Things like that also start rallying, Steve. Yeah, you just went for the uh, the wrong fraudulent-looking company. Um, uh, I understand as well, Steve, that you may not want to know this, but Coinbase is also up 7% today, so you're uh, even further than your prediction. Yeah, it's raced off. Again, I, I to be honest with you, I, I make no sense of this. When you said four hundred, I thought that's wrong, and I went and had a look at Coinbase share price, and I was like, ready to stop you and like, come on, re-record it, Steve. It cap, no, it really genuinely is up that that high. It's, mm-hmm. it's now a forty-four billion dollar uh, corporation, uh, if that's what you want to call it. Um, so that is a fairly fairly incredible uh, performance, and I, I would say congratulations to anybody that. Uh, that bought that at the beginning of the year. It was a $30 stock, and it's now 184 So that is uh, uh, it's quite phenomenal. Uh, for, for no, I can't even say it. That is incredible mm-hmm. performance. And uh, I just, yeah, I, I, the crypto to me now has completely passed me by. I've gone from being trying to force myself to be interested in it to being completely uninterested in it. So I don't even like, I've banned the word crypto uh, on and Bitcoin on uh x so i don't even get any kind of information about it uh, i keep ticking i'm not interested when anything tries to feed me a notification and that's all stopped now uh it's just going to be one of those sectors of the market that i just come i'm completely shocked by but mostly ignore uh, i think that's probably the safest place to be keep my eye on this vibe session that you've got uh potentially cut or you see us in the middle of for how this plays out with crypto 
I feel like the chances of uh, Coinbase getting taken down are higher the grumpier people are about stuff. I mean, one of their arguments was, look, we've been doing this for ages. Why is the SEC showing up now? This is a really bad argument, uh, by the way. I mean, the SEC is entitled to be um, dealing with other things. And then when it gets round to your kind of criminal activities, which turn out to be more serious than uh, at certain times than others, uh, it doesn't make them legal because you say, hey, look, I've been doing this illegal activity for however long, if that's what turns out to be the case. Um, but I do think that if public mood sort of improves and so on, there's there's less appetite for uh, people to go hunting down crypto things and it turns back into some sort of harmless speculating thing for people to um, make money off of, basically. So when Bitcoin's going down, I fear more for Coinbase's future than I do with it going up. Yeah, makes total sense. Are you ready for some new predictions? Yes, let us begin predicting. After you. Okay, look. Uh, so my prediction one, uh, we, just to let everyone know, we've loosely set these out as an outperform, an underperform, and some kind of macro. That that was our loose uh, uh, sort of guide, uh, mainly because I texted Steve um, yesterday and said, I have absolutely no idea. Can you give me a loose guide so I can copy your um, your, your ideas? And this is what he sent back, so I've just ran with it. Uh, but my prediction one, Steve, is Disney to outperform the S&P this year. Um, wow. As much as I disliked the way that Bob Iger finished, um, you know, hanging around like a bad smell and started his tenure at Disney by managing to blame a man who'd been in the job for 12 minutes. Um, I actually do believe he's now making the right changes at Disney to get this sort of business and share price moving. Uh, I think he's essentially a hit movie away from being back. Um, now, I'm not. 100% I'm spotting it in Disney's 2024 slate. Um, but First Omen looks okay. A New Planet of the Apes looks okay. Inside Out 2 should do pretty well. Deadpool 3 should do pretty well. They've also said that there's a new Alien movie coming. And, of course, there's Mufasa, the Lion King sort of spin-off live-action thing that's coming. Uh, but also there's, there's plenty of time for them to start to announce things for 2025 and for the market to get excited about them. Uh, and obviously this is a dividend to uh, obviously push them along, Steve, for, for the dividend investors. So I think this is a year, last year, well, the last year was evidently a year of consolidation for Disney. Um, this year is going to be a little bit more exciting. They've also uh, signed a deal with Reliance in India to merge the two um the, the Indian businesses um, so and, and to invest in that. So Disney essentially in this new merged business has got the IPL license back. So I expect to see a little bit of growth in there. I think that's quite a, an, an interesting move. They're both going to invest a decent chunk of money into content in India. Uh, I think guided by Reliance, which has a, a quite successful um, uh, content arm. Um, rather than Disney just throwing out stuff and hoping that it sticks, uh, I think that's a, a more measured approach to to you know what is essentially a, a growthy kind of market. So yeah, I think Disney uh, will outperform the S and P. I'm not going to stick a number on it. I just think it will do a little bit better. That's fair enough, and you're happy with that, whether the S and P goes up or down next year. <clears throat> well, I'm 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 going to say green. If that helps you out, I'm I'm going to say it's going to outperform the S and P in a green year. Oh, okay. No, I, I, you don't need to. Uh, we can just go without perform. I'm happy with that as the prediction. I was just sort of curious, right? Because there's two ways you can think that. One is that it will show up more defensive in a down year, and one is that it will show up as uh, more growthy in an up year. But you're thinking more growthy in an up year, then, is your uh, your kind of prediction. Interesting yeah. stuff. Um, I like the sound of that. 
Um, I've also gone for a, I've gone slightly different feel on my uh, predictions because I got confused by your reply when I offered you a, a structure for these um, things. I've decided that because my predictions last year were so bad and so unsuccessful, um, I would make things harder for myself this time. So this time I've decided I'm going to pick two pairs of stocks. I'm going to have a, a long one and a short one, and I'm going to argue for the spread or predict for the spread between them are uh, to be greater than the returns of the index in each case. I'll say what I mean a bit more about this in a second. But the first one is a UK-based uh, pair, and here's what I um, am going to have as my kind of two parts of it. Weatherspoons uh, is going to be my kind of long part of it. So bullish on Weatherspoons, bearish on IAG, uh, which is International Consolidated Airlines Group, which is British Airways' is parent company here. Um, and so what I mean by this is I'm going to say, look, I want uh, the returns from Weatherspoons, and I'll give you back the returns from IAG, and the difference is going to be higher than the re for returns from, let's say, either the FTSE 100 or the FTSE 250. I know I've picked one from the 100 and one from the 250 there, so let's say that either way. So in the year just gone, uh, Spoons was up 80%, IAG was up 22%, so there's a difference of 58%, which outperforms uh, the 100 at 2.26% uh, year to date. So uh, I get the 80, I'll give you back the 22, which means if they both go down, uh, but IAG goes down by more than Spoons does, then uh, I also kind of win on that, right? So it's minus 20 from IAG and minus 2 from Spoons, I'm having 18 as a positive uh, swing from my thing. So why do I like these? Uh, well, what do I think of these two things? I'll be honest, JD Weatherspoons, I'm partly annoyed at myself. I was calling this a year ago and I missed basically 80% of share price appreciation and so on. I still think it's in decent shape. And I'm, the reason I'm annoyed at this one is because not just because the stock went up. I talked about a lot of stocks that have gone up, but uh, or I've thought about a lot of stocks that have gone up. Certainly, I was basically right about the reasons as well, uh, mostly too, in that uh, they found themselves in a position where their trading has recovered pretty quickly with pressure on cost of living. Their low prices are holding up fairly well. They are what they call investing into their pubs, which basically means dumping things that they leasehold, uh, either buying freehold uh, rights to them or uh, getting rid of them entirely, which just increases the distance between them and pushes people into uh, the ones they have remaining. The thought is that's not good for growth, and I get that fewer outlets isn't a particularly positive growthy sign. But when you freehold, that's an important part of not having lease payments to make, brings your costs under control, allows you to maintain your low price points to uh, consumers. We're actually seeing supermarkets doing this a little bit too. Sainsbury's and Tesco's have been attempting to buy their stores outright, which is their way of trying to get into a position where they can compete with the discounters. And it's working. Uh, Sainsbury's is taking market share from people. Tesco is actually defending its market share pretty well. You hear about Little and Aldi gaining market share and all. That's true. But they're not getting it off Tesco and Sainsbury. Or if they are, Tesco and Sainsbury's are getting uh, more than uh, compensatory uh, market share gains from the likes of Waitrose and everywhere else. So... Um, I'm going to suggest here that Weatherspoons is going to hold up well in what I think is going to be a UK recession coming. I think business will remain fairly strong. I think they have a good edge on the sector and charge lower prices and are well known for doing that. People will still turn up there, even though they I heard the investor way talking about this and they said, don't like this stock, don't like this business, don't like this company. Um, can't see how the think the industry's in trouble, but I'm still going to turn up for uh, Curry Club on a Thursday. And I thought that last point is exactly the one. You don't like any of this, but you're still prepared to put your money there. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna back that one. IAG. Um, well, I think there's a lot of global uncertainty around, and they're a long haul outfit, and I think there's oversupply in the long haul market at the moment, which makes it hard for anybody to make any money 
uh, on this sort of thing. I think there's a bit of industry consolidation that needs to happen, to be honest. And I think that um, they're going to find prices and margins and so on under pressure. One of the themes of this year that we haven't really mentioned so far on this show has been snapback after COVID, both positively and negatively for places. We've found inventory levels too high in the healthcare sector, which has put pressure on the likes of Croda. But we've also found um, travel, especially air travel, has been uh, storming back, which is why Rolls-Royce is going to finish top of the FTSE 100s year-to-date gainers. Um, I think there's a correction due there. That's why um, IAG has been up 22% as well. I think that's going to correct and moderate. And I think with pressure on uh, the economy generally around the world here, along with some uh, other issues that I'll come back to in a little bit, I don't think the stock's going to do terribly well for the next year or so. I also don't like their balance sheet. I like it a lot less than some of their competitors too. So I think the spread between long JD Weatherspoons and short IAG of British Airways is going to outperform either the FTSE 100 or the 250. There's prediction number one. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Steve, you've got a, a sort of low-cost volume-based operator in Weatherspoons, which is uh, getting rid of its underperforming uh, assets. Um uh, and keeping the ones with the good volume, so that should be good for profitability. And you've got IAG, uh, a not cheap airline, going into um, uh, or being part of a cost of living squeeze when if people do look to go away, they'll be looking to go through uh, a low-cost operator and just suffer a worse plane flight. So uh, I think that's a, a pretty solid choice. I'll drop on to two, uh, which yep. is my uh, short. Now, I don't short. I have no interest in shorting. Um, and, uh, you know... That gives me the opportunity to double down on a bad trade. So um, if I was going to short something this year, and if you hadn't guessed already, it's going to be Tesla. Uh, I still think it's the most egregiously priced thing on the market right now. Uh, and, and yeah, like I say, I'm always wrong on Tesla, so I don't expect this one to play out. But if anything needs a correction, it's Tesla. Um, I think this for a number of reasons. I think the Cybertruck is going to flop. Um because despite the sort of unibody technology, which is quite impressive, it's hideous. I mean, it looks like something that Homer Simpson designed. Um, I think people have become a lot more sensible since 2020, 2021. Uh, I think the beer goggles are off. Um, I, I just I just don't see the Cybertruck selling well at all. Um, I think combining that with softer sales in the EU area, uh, I think BYD and NEO have sort of continued their push across this area. I actually saw BYD adverts in the UK this week as well. They were advertising the SEAL, which is a, a strange named car, but a very good looking car. Uh, it looks like it's in there to compete with the, the Model 3 or the Model Y. Um I'd be interested to see how this does. It had a very attractive price point to rival Tesla. Very interesting uh, sort of specs. In fact, I would say the specs were perhaps just a little bit higher, but uh, build quality, well, uh, Tesla's not, not great for build quality either, so they can be as bad as each other. Uh, my Tesla actually goes back in May, uh, and I'm not getting another one. Uh, at the moment, it looks like I'll be getting a Volvo EV. Uh, I've tested over a few of them. Competition's definitely hotting up, uh, and it's up to Tesla to continue competing Competing. My bet, at least for this prediction show, is that they've sort of flounder this year. Uh, I would expect them to uh, be about 10% under where they are uh, at least by this time next year. So buy Tesla and make treble your money next year is probably what will happen. Yeah. So just to be clear, you're going Tesla to underperform or Tesla to go down? I think Tesla will be down this time next okay. year. 
Cool. So uh, red market, green market, don't really matter. Tesla going down is your uh, thesis here. It's not hard to find reasons why this could happen. Um, the, the reason I hesitate with this is it's been not hard to find reasons why this could happen for years now, and it hasn't happened for many of them. Um, and there's all the stuff about industrial action, about Tesla shares being tied to Elon Musk's personal kind of um, liabilities and the potential for a sudden supply shock into the uh, stock market from Tesla on these sorts of things. I It wouldn't surprise me at all to see this happen and yet it kind of would as well. Um, I I wonder uh, on this. I, I really do. I sort of feel like I can see their kind of... I wonder how many quarters of back steps to stay ahead of the competition everyone else will take. So we saw the point about margins coming in, sales prices going down, and obviously that meant profits came down uh, as well to kind of maintain volumes and tesla bulls i think with some justification pointed out that that's because they are trying to just drive the competition down around them and that's okay you can lead a a pricing war lower if you want and try and squeeze your competitors who have worse liabilities than you i think the really interesting thing um to me will be how the industrial stuff uh, resolves itself around scandinavia so tesla one of the big advantages they have whether you like it or not um is they do not have unionized workers um Make of that what you will, morally or not. Uh, they want to point out that they, in terms of stock-based comp, the way the Tesla share price has performed, well, frankly, their workers do fine uh, because they get paid in Tesla stock and Tesla stock goes through the roof. And there's some justification for that. Ron Barron, who um, is one of the biggest bulls for Tesla and has been hugely successful owning Tesla shares, so yeah, no arguing with that, um, said a couple of things that sort of confused me a little bit. He said that Tesla share tesla's uh workers are some of the best paid workers in the world uh because stock-based comp so on okay he also said that tesla has the lowest cost uh when it comes to workers and i struggle to see how both those things could be true uh since you are kind of one of your bigger costs is your staff um either you're paying them bugger all in which case you have a low cost advantage or you're paying them incredibly well in which case you don't have a low cost advantage um you you choose uh, but I struggle to sort of fit both of those two things together in my head a little bit there. I'll be interested to see how this kind of um, resolves itself because it feels like those Scandinavian union uh, workers are the immovable object coming up against the irresistible force, uh, to my mind here. And if Tesla can find a way to work around this and maintain its edge there, that will be huge. If it finds itself getting caught here, then that could be something that will help your prediction along, Steve. Yeah, I think the uh, the Scandinavian issue is an interesting one because uh, it's not really an argument that's going to work with any other Nordic region because you say, well, um, you know, you're the best paid around because we pay you so much stock-based compensation. The, the, the government in those areas are likely to say in, in meme fashion, why not both? <laughs> pay mm. us really well and give us stock because that's that's the way that those markets are are tra- high tax and high benefits for uh for people who who live in those in those countries so um i would expect uh that's what's going to happen essentially uh steve we're gonna need to rattle on because we're on to an hour and we've still got uh, um new year's resolutions to do so yep, what's your next let's one let's go uh us similar pair then i've gone for a theme here that says the winners of this year will not be the winners of next year because I'm inspired by Paul uh, coming out with this last time. Uh, so I haven't gone for Tesla on my short side, though. I've gone for NVIDIA uh, as my thing I will pay back on this. Now, NVIDIA has been overpriced for ages, and then it suddenly put up the earnings to to make it seem like actually it wasn't really overpriced at all. 
in this case. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm more reluctant to go against NVIDIA than against Tesla because I don't dislike their CEO the way I dislike Tesla's. Uh, I'm fine with Jensen Huang, uh, to be honest. I haven't got a problem with him at all. But I'm concerned that there's, we're going to find some of this kind of AI uh, headwind wearing off, and it doesn't take much for things to start falling away from where NVIDIA is. I think the real issue is going to be China uh, in this situation. From what I understand of it is that anyone in China that could possibly do this so far has been stockpiling NVIDIA GPUs like crazy. And I think that's been causing something of a demand shock, and that's been causing sales to come in strong for NVIDIA and prices to shoot up, and the share price has behaved accordingly, and the earnings have then backed it up, uh, basically. I think that might lead to either higher than expected inventory levels if you don't get a chips ban coming through in a more robust fashion than we've had at the moment, um, or uh, a kind of, uh, well, if you do get that kind of um, uh, ban, then demand will fall away from there. So I'm going to say I will pay away NVIDIA on this, and what I will take on the longer side is Goldman Sachs. Uh, basically. I'm hoping interest rates are going to come down this year. I'm worried they're not going to come down as fast as people think they are, but I am expecting a better year for M&A activity. I'm hearing about it being uh, mooted by people in the comms uh, sector. So in particular, kind of streamers are going to merge um, because they can't current, none of them is making any money by all fighting each other like this. What you need is consolidation and therefore you can get some sort of price to consumer rationalization here that will allow people to um, uh actually make some money from their streaming services here right now everybody is fighting everybody else and it looks like the airline industry jack howell was saying the deal basically needs to get worse uh for consumers is the way he thinks of it there's too much choice at the moment and therefore people can switch away far too easily all over the place i'm not sure whether i think that's true in that sector particularly but i would expect m a activity to tick up from where it's been this year and i think goldman is in general not particularly priced terribly well for uh, a, a kind of well, Goldman is the best choice I can think of to try and represent that idea of what's going to happen in 2024. Uh, my problem with Goldman is the damn thing is up 28% in the last three in the last uh, few months. So um, I'm concerned that I might already be getting some of this stuff priced in uh, because in, optimism about interest rates has kind of already started. And um, I'll say I'm going from. Uh, all of these, by the way, I'll say I'm going from January 1st in terms of share price movements. So not the next three days. Whatever happens then is irrelevant. Uh, that's my kind of worry here, that there's a bit of this that's already coming in. And the gap between those two is closing a bit year to date. And I could do with it staying wide and kicking this off in 2024 rather than now, to be honest. I thought about short GM as an option, um, but I thought it was too obvious. It's only up 6%, so it's kind of comfortably doing three times the FTSE 100 despite being an absolute dog by US standards. That's my idea, though, Steve, for the US outperformer on the S&P 500. Long GM, short NVIDIA. Yeah, I like that. Um, long Goldman, not GM. Um, yes, I like that as an as an idea. Um there goldman um tends to track the whims of the ipo market and i would expect the ipo market to uh to heat up quite a bit next year so i think goldman sachs has a good uh, a good pairs trade with nvidia um but you just always run the risk of uh, nvidia just i mean the way that they've been guiding and then smashing guidance by like 
fifty percent has been just absolutely bonkers. So um, it's one of those ones that stocks I would be fearful of. Maybe I should be fearful of Tesla, but uh, here goes. Um, prediction number three, Steve, for me was just a general one. It was a macro one, and I just said equities to outperform again. I think the S and P will rise uh, by ten percent, and I'm I'm going to pair it just to make it a little bit less obvious. I'm going to go with the Nasdaq to be uh, up by fifteen percent or more, so the Nasdaq to outperform the S and P by almost fifty percent here. So. Uh, and why do I think this? Um, this is based on a really simple idea, Steve. Uh, this is about $5.89 trillion uh, in uh, money market funds assets as of December, mid-December this year. I think as interest rates decline, um, I'm anticipating they'll decline a bit faster than we expect. I think this rate's going to become less attractive to investors pretty quickly, and I expect some of that money to start heading back into equities. Uh, and uh, and where better to put um, your money than into the best performing assets? So uh, I think um, the prediction is S&P to rise by over 10% and the Nasdaq to be over 15% interesting i i'd like to see that happen um i'd take another 10 percent from my portfolio assuming i can manage to perform in line with the s&p which based on this year i won't but um if you like the nasdaq more than the s&p you're kind of thinking that the winners of this year will be the winners of the next year i mean the nasdaq is of course tech heavy um insofar as it differs from the s&p which is not by a massive amount because the top end of the s&p is tech heavy too but you're you're thinking the winners will be the kind of uh, magnificent seven apart from Tesla, uh, which is going to go backwards. I'm expecting the magnificent six to do incredible, <laughs> <laughs> and for Tesla to be down about one percent and not drag this down too much. But I, cool. I actually did um, move quite a chunk of my wife's portfolio about four months ago into the Nasdaq. Um, um, so she has. Uh, essentially an all-world fund, uh, which I then concentrate down into various areas if I want even more exposure to them. So I went uh, into the NASDAQ about four months ago. That's been a cracking um, move. Um, so I am expecting to not need to change that portfolio is essentially what I'm saying. I'm expecting that, that portfolio to continue to rattle on. That's interesting. So um i've also got a macro prediction my macro prediction is to do with inflation i am predicting the following the bank of england will start cutting interest rates before inflation uh well their target is two or their stated target is two percent but let's say it's two to three percent which was what we said last year i think they will cut interest rates at least once before inflation reaches three percent in the uk so uh where are we at the moment we're at 3.9 but we're trailing the states in terms of coming down to 3.1 and i can see two reasons the bank of england might try cutting rates before it gets to uh three percent and i don't mean three point something percent i mean three percent because we're already at 3.9 here so one reason is that a recession is coming uh and they might try cutting interest rates to try and get uh economic growth going again I don't think it will work necessarily, but I think it might be a very natural thing to try. So uh, if we find ourselves heading towards a recession within the next two quarters, so the end of this uh, year and the first three months of the next, I don't think inflation will reach 3% by that point. So I think if they then start cutting to try and reinvigorate growth again, uh, that may well be before we've reached our stated inflation target. The other reason is that there's a potential they follow the US and there's a decent chance that the US does reach its inflation target uh, before the UK reaches 3%, in which case they are free to go cutting again. I'm not saying they're automatically going to do it, actually, but when you look at the Fed's dot plots, they appear to be set for thinking that there's something coming towards the 
uh, probably Q2 uh, next year, to be honest, between sort of April and the middle of the year. Um, and if they do start to cut, I wonder whether the UK will feel the pressure to follow, even if they haven't really got the job done uh, on inflation just yet. Um, I've also got reason for thinking, by the way, that inflation is going to be worse in general and that inflation isn't properly just a one-way street coming down now. So uh, the potential for an early cut from the economy side, the potential for the for an economic cut from copying the US and concerns around, well, look, there's a lot of global uncertainty at the moment and a lot of it concerns oil. So there's war between Russia and the Ukraine. There's uncertainty in the Middle East. Uh, there's also fairly large uncertainty between uh, the US and China. There is a general trend towards onshoring or nearshoring wherever you look. All of these things are inflationary as far as I can see. All of this will be pushing prices somewhere near upwards because a kind of reversing of globalization means shortages of supply or makes supply harder to come by here. Uh, So I think it wouldn't take much here for inflation to start creeping back up again, at which point uh, an impending recession will leave the Bank of England with a dilemma, um, which it fairly constantly has, to be honest. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them cutting before we get to 3% in inflation. So there's my prediction for the macro side. The Bank of England will cut rates at least once. I'm not saying when, but I am saying before we reach um, 3%. If they don't cut rates at all in 2024, you can consider that wrong, by the way. Uh, So um, that's me for the macro thing, Steve. Yeah, I mean, they will... If the US starts cutting, the UK will will cut um, because the tail doesn't wag the dog, uh, is what I will say about that. Um, Steve, have you got a financial New Year's resolution or would you like me to go first because I've got two? You go first. I've got one, so go for it. Okay, so I'll go with mine first and I'll pass to you. So my first financial New Year's resolution, uh, which will not be a shock to anybody who listened to last week, is to have less turnover on my portfolio. I think last year was pretty ridiculous and I didn't even realise I was doing it, which is part of the problem. So I'm going to be more conscious about that this year. So my New Year's resolution is to at least half my activity in terms of sales. Um, Steve, what's your first one? Interesting. So I don't have an investing one. I, unlike you, was quite pleased with the amount I'd managed to sit on my hands uh, this year, or just keep adding, basically, rather than selling anything. I want to try and get my emergency fund up this year. So um, I have the most. Uh, I have a decent chunk of my emergency fund. I have a decent emergency fund actually stashed, uh, but part of it stashed in the NatWest six percent thing of me. Uh, which you can add to in two ways. You can add 150 quid a month and you can round up, or in my case, you can double round up uh, into it from your NatWest uh, spending thing. You can put a maximum of 5,000 in there and at current rates, that will get you around 25 pounds a month in interest. Make of that what you will. But I want to try and get as close as I can to that 5,000 thing. It's more of an ambition than a resolution. But I'm currently at 2719. I checked before this. And if you think um i've therefore got uh a hundred and i'll get at least 13 quid a month in interest on that from where i am at the moment so 13 lots of so 12 lots of 13 will go in uh next time out plus 12 lots of 150 ought to get in there leaves me trying to find around 325 quid in double roundups uh i wonder if i can manage that uh not by doing something uh crazy here but i'm uh i'm thinking i can get cl- i'm going to try and get as close as i can to my um 5000 filling the 6% thingy uh by doing enough spending with enough rounding up to try and get myself there i think you need to find the cheapest thing in tesco's like 15p or something like that and and pop in there and pay it on your card at least once a day to do that that's that's 
That's going we'll to be see tricky how to do. We go. We'll see how we go. Uh, the double whisper bar in Sainsbury's is £1.10. Uh, so that's not a big outlay. And that's then you choice. get £1.80 rounded up there. Yeah. Um, and I'm planning on paying both my credit cards once a month from it as well with an amount that ends with 1p. If anyone would like a charitable donation of £1 and 1p uh, and you qualify as a business, let me know. Um, uh, I'm going to see how close I can get. I wouldn't back against me uh, on this one. I'm a fairly determined I, character, but that's uh, that's the ambition. I have the NatWest 5% account, and we don't have as much mm. as you in it. We have about 1,350 quid or something like that, uh, but that's going to be empty uh, as of the first of this month because we're drawing it down to pay off the boiler, which people may remember happened uh, in beginning of this year. We're getting close to the end of the, the sort of point where... Well, to be honest with you, I'm getting to the point where I'm sick of having the MS app, uh, and I'd just quite like to get rid of it. So um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna just nip that one in the bud, get rid of the app, and cut the card up uh, because it's getting on my nerves. Um, so my second uh, New Year's resolution uh, is, and this one is going to be a lot trickier for me this year uh, because I've uh, like three, four weeks in. Children are bloody expensive, um, but my goal is to max out my ISA uh, next financial year. Um, I, I have actually no idea where the cash is going to come from, uh, especially because <laughs> I'm going to put because I'm going to put money into Olivia's um, ISA and Olivia's uh, SIP and Olivia's premium bonds. Um, I am not entirely sure how I'm going to find twenty thousand pounds, but I'm going to I'm going to try my damnedest to to, to do it, Steve. And uh, we'll we'll have to see how we end up. So I've got a bonus coming in January. Uh, we'll get some. Decent but not great dividends in uh, April. Uh, and then obviously we'll get them for the following year as well before we switch over to the new tax year. Um, so the likelihood is, is that I'll be able to get somewhere near. Um, but just quite how close, I'm not entirely sure. I should I should get about six grand of my own money, about three and a half out of the, out of the, the dividend, um, and then maybe another three and a half the following year. So I've still got, a seven thousand pound hole to fill somewhere, but um, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, you're making. You'll get somewhere near it. Uh, I think I'd be surprised if you if you don't. I'm I'm planning on getting somewhere near it. I've got some stuff stashed in the two one two invest that realistically will go uh, across, and I'm glad I have it there. To be honest, because the last few months it's been there, it's done enormously better than it would have done if I just left it in cash. In actually, what are reasonable rates for? current accounts or instant access saving accounts or call them whatever you like but i was um i'm pleased to have gone for it this time i was sticking it in thinking oh, i'll be annoyed if i end up having to sell this at a loss and stick it into the ISA. that would be that would be cross making at a time when i'm getting four and a bit percent on leaving it in marcus uh, or something but um okay we'll see how we go uh, on those then i'll have a house full of whisper bars and you will have a three quarters full ISA uh, by the end of the uh the next year that's been our show anyway uh thank you all very much for watching um from both me and steve and paul wherever he is um happy new year let us know what your uh ambitions and resolutions and so on are and we wish you the very best for them uh stick with us for another uh, 52 shows before we do this all again bye for now <laughs>